If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There are cracks in the dam. The West, especially the United States of America, stood publicly for a genocide. And what we used to tell you about freedom, human rights, and, and, and democracy, and equality, and justice, and tolerance, is not anymore, has been at least suspended for now. By the way, this human-animals concept is deeply entrenched in the Western culture. How much are we exaggerating the uh, the current downfall of, of America. Because liberalism was converted from value-centered doctrine into weaponized tool. Does there need to be a fundamental shift in the power of America in the world in order for Israel to be less, more isolated? Americans could not understand the soul, neither the, the spirit or the mind of the Islamic world. Gaza has been described as a graveyard of children, but it also represents a graveyard for the liberal world order. The very values that undergird this so-called rules-based system have been revealed for what they really are, a set of norms created to preserve the interests of the West. Their unrepentant support for the worst crimes of Israel, the brutality of indiscriminate bombings, the targeting of civilian infrastructure, the carpet bombings of entire neighborhoods, and the use of the most wicked weaponry without even the slightest murmur from the Western capitals have consolidated a new consciousness. Violence has never been absent under the auspices of this order. Instead, the system was created to safeguard these perpetrators from prosecution. Like the rotten empires of old, as their failures domestically and internationally mount, so too does the duplicity with which they act. This is not an abdication of liberalism. 
This is in fact consistent with the very program this ideology has to offer. My guest today argues that in many ways this is a coming of age for many, including much of what is called the global self. Wada Khanfer is the president of Al-Sharq Forum and Common Action Forum, an independent network dedicated to developing long-term strategies for political development, social justice and economic prosperity of the people of the Middle East. He is, however, best known for his tenure at Al Jazeera, where he served as Director General from 2003 to, two, to 2011. Wada Khanfar, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, and it's a pleasure to have you with us on the Thinking. Wa alaikum assalam, thank you very much for having me. Well, it's wonderful to have you with us. Now, we are speaking 42, 43 days into what can only be described as a slaughter in Gaza. What does the silence, if not the acquiescence of the West, tell us about the so-called rules-based order? This is a station after many other stations before it. So in order to contextualize the current moment, you would uh, look at the uh, challenge to the Western-centric hegemony during the last two decades, where consistently we have seen balance of power shifting from the West to the East. And technically speaking, when that happens, the hegemons, international hegemons, especially the United States of America in this case, uh, becomes very uh, uh, anxious and eventually they start trying to stop the decline. And they make a lot of mistakes during this phase. So now we are going into basically not order, disorder, the vacuum generated in this transformation and the anxiety attached to it. In the case of anxiety, what do you? What happens to you? You start losing focus. Initially, the Western world promised us great values of liberalism that were derived of, from 300 years of philosophical intellectual discipline created by great philosophers of enlightenment. But when you are moving towards decline, what happens, you start actually behaving not in consistency with your values. So today, the West is much more naked uh, than any other moment. And this is actually a result of three major um, landmarks that happened during the last five years. The first one was Corona. When Corona happened, one of the most important pillars of the Western view of the world was called globalism. If you remember, uh, globalization of economy, free trade, and so on. Definitely, Corona did attack that concept and weakened it because the Western world did not actually live up to the ideal of globalization. And slowly, we found that everyone is trying to close up uh, his, his borders and to protect uh, the economy against the principles of, of free uh, trade. The second one was the war on Ukraine. The war on Ukraine did injure in a very severe way the concept of, uh, of international uh, law and the uh, global order, which was based on the Security Council and the United, States, uh, United Nations. Because most of the actions done against Russia during this uh, confrontation were not actually based on consensus 
uh, of the United Nations or on uh, legalities related to international law. So now we have new rules, the uh, rules-based world order created by the Americans was actually a solution to make up for the decline of the supremacy of the Americans within the world order. So instead of you leading the world based on certain kind of laws and regulations and accumulation of consensus, you are now leading the world by the virtue of the fact that you have the power to do so. And therefore, you don't care about the values of it or the interpretation of it as long as you are achieving what you think stopping your decline. And the third one is the 7th of October uh, and the aftermath of 7th of October. Now, if the, if the concept of world order was weakened during uh, Ukraine uh, and the international law was injured, now it is fatally <laughs> killed, actually. Why? Because, you know, the West, especially the United States of America, stood publicly for a genocide in front of our eyes, which has never happened in history. I mean, a genocide happening in front of us, live on air, while the American spokesperson of the White House or the Pentagon are justifying the killing of civilians and uh, giving the Israelis a free hand to do whatever they want to do under the banner of the right of Israel to defend itself, which is a very interesting concept created by the Americans during this period to cover up for the Israeli crimes in Gaza. So the issue is, Anyone, anyone monitoring this episode of failures, you would come to the following conclusion. The Western centers of power uh, are not ashamed anymore to uh, uh, publicly, openly, uh, uh, without any shame, declaring to the world that we are divorcing the values from our politics. And what we used to tell you about freedom, human rights, and, and, and democracy, and equality, and justice, and tolerance is not anymore, has been at least suspended for now. Now, of course, I will ask myself, as someone who is living in the South, you will ask yourself, and many others will ask themselves, why are you doing so? We come to the following conclusion that the West does not see us, the people of the South, as good as they are when it comes to these kind of values. And therefore, you know, okay, you are not equally, uh, 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 you know, available for this kind of values, so I can go beyond you. This is extremely vital. We have noticed that for the last two decades, three decades, but now we see it much more open. Human animals, as they say. They used all kinds of terminology. You know, human animals, by the way, this human animals concept is deeply entrenched in the Western culture beyond, I mean, the rhetoric wise, they normally don't use it, but now they start even using it. But before that, when you see the colonial era in Africa and in Asia and in Latin America, I mean, they dealt with humans as animals and worse than animals actually so uh, unfortunately right now the current leaders of the west are tapping not on the values of of original liberalism but on the legacy of genocide 
and annihilation of indigenous people and the original sin of the establishment of the Western supremacy in the world that happened in America, in Latin America, in Australia, in Africa, in many other parts of the world. So this is the dichotomy. Before, they used to breach the values. Now they tap on the legacy of genocide and the legacy of discrimination and racism, which definitely has been there for more than two centuries now or three centuries, but it was covered up by a magnificent discourse of tolerance and liberal values. I wonder whether um, what you say there about the decline of the United States is real. Um, I have great sympathy for your perspective, but I'm just, I, I remember Joseph Nye, who's a, a liberal philosopher in the United States, liberal thinker. He argues that, you know, America has always been inconsistent. Samuel Hunterton talked about this back in 1991. The Vietnam War was a, a brutal war, you know, was a an annihilation, actually, of of uh, of um, uh, of people in the global south. And since the Vietnam War, America's wars have been extremely brutal and extremely duplicit. Afghanistan and Iraq. How much are we exaggerating the uh, the current downfall of of America and and linking Gaza, for example, into this decline narrative? So, what I want to now say that. Sometimes when you are living the moment, you cannot see it within the spectrum of a transformation. I'm speaking about a trend, not a strategic trend. I'm not speaking about the current moment in a sense that I cannot say that America today is weak and tomorrow is, is losing its power. America is still the most powerful militarily and the most rich economically and the most influential uh, anywhere in the world. I mean, this is, I mean, without doubt, it cannot be compared by any any uh, other actor yes. on the international scene. However, the decline which I'm referring to is a result of that kind of supremacy. Because when you have that kind of supremacy, what will happen? You establish rules to sustain it. And when you establish rules to sustain it, eventually others, will be harmed by these rules. And then they will start trying to figure out a way to break away from the system that you established to, con to, to keep your hegemony uh, intact. And I think that was the case. The Soviet Union tried, but it couldn't do it. But now, after the collapse of the Soviet Union and the... Uh, the, the uh, the feeling of the Americans that history has been uh, on our side and we have won the final battle, uh, that led to supremacy, which, in my opinion, created huge weakness. Uh, they started to be blind to the fact that nations and civilizations and other groups of people across the world have different aspirations, and there are now different tools to express these kind of aspirations. Yes. We are much more connected. We are much more capable of expressing our views. We are much more capable of, of crafting our new narrative that we did not have that ability 20, 30 years ago, thanks to the communication revolution and so on. So slowly, slowly, they are not aware to, the, because 
the model was built on, on, on military supremacy to a large extent. And this reminds me of the Roman model. Romans did control the world to a large extent. That was the biggest you know, empire. The Mediterranean, North Africa, and, and most of Europe was controlled by the Romans. The, the backbone of the Roman Empire was the military supremacy. And that military supremacy, with time, started to fail to create a proper paradigm of control for new nations that have been incorporated in the empire. And this is why they tried to save it by introducing a new religion, for example, during Constantine. So, but that also, again, was fired back because they tried to modify that religion to suit the empire. So the, the, the might of the empire controlled everything. In my opinion, the Americans are going phases through this phase of losing touch with the world because of the supremacy that they have and their systematic failure to understand what's happening around them, including the Islamic world. I argue that the Americans for the last 30 years have misunderstood and must foresee and forecast events in the Islamic world consistently and to a large extent always. They have been surprised by the Arab Spring. Before that, they were surprised by 11 September. They were surprised by the uh, results of the Iraqi, uh, of the war in Iraq, because Americans could not understand the soul, neither the, the spirit or the mind of the Islamic world. And superficially and in a linear way, they thought they could you know, subjugate this region. Yes. But they couldn't do that. And they failed systematically. And this because they are so much entrenched about, around their power that is blinding them that the margin or the weak could have their own spirit, their own mind, and their own tactics and the strategies that the center cannot absorb and therefore the center will fail always in its encounter with the margin. So you talk about the ignorance of the Americans towards the Muslim world. It seems like they've returned to that, if they ever left it, they returned to that Cold War logic of propping up dictators and authoritarians to keep a lid on the Ummah. Do you think that logic is bound to fail? It has failed. I mean, we have gone through this logic for 100 years now. From 1917 until today, 106 years, we have gone through a new formation in the Arab world, in the Muslim world, when a new concept of nation state was established and introduced to us by the Western uh, colonialism uh, at the beginning, the British and the French, then later on by the Americans, as the solution for our development and the solution for us becoming mod modern and becoming progressive and becoming moderate. Right. <laughs> and that did not work. <laughs> Our nation states of today are a huge failure. You know, economically, we couldn't establish that magnificent prosperity that we were promised. Uh, politically, we couldn't establish legitimacy uh, with our nations, uh, between the leaders of nations. Uh, we could not establish democracy as it's supposed to be. We could not establish even uh, any imagination for a future uh, because now we have dead ends almost everywhere uh, and the new generation doesn't understand what kind of future are we going to have simply because there was an attack against the DNA of this region 
And whatever formation you are going to make, whatever regional uh, structure or uh, or even national uh, uh, national structure you are going to establish, established on wrong foundations. Why I'm saying so? This region is historically very much uh, entrenched in the concept of collectiveness. And the Western culture, which came uh, to breach to us the uh, prosperity and liberty and democracy, is very much entrenched in individualism and in pragmatism and realism. So that did not match. And the, and the prescription to the Islamic world, and actually to many other nations like Africa as well, did not match the accumulation of memory, heritage, culture, religion, and richness of history that these nations have. So this is why we have failure systematically in most of the formations, the states, nation states, or territorial entities created by Western mind and systems created by Western mind. Unfortunately, this is why today, after 100 years, uh, we can say that we are going through major failure, especially in the Arab world, where we have either civil wars or we have you know, countries on the brink of, of collapse uh, economically. Can I ask you, just to expand on, on that point, do you think that the Arab and Muslim nation states are in fact imagined communities as, as, as it described? And if so, has Gaza in a way unveiled the very fact that we see ourselves as part of a global ummah rather than as parochial nation states? Um, there was a discussion in the West uh, a few months back. It was on social media about how English and American men, they think three or four times a day about the Roman Empire. Do you think about the Abbasid and the Ottoman empires as more viable models to these nation states? So let me say the following. At the beginning, I would like to argue that the collectiveness that we have in the Islamic world was not only an emotional feeling of brotherhood amongst people who follow the same religion. It was converted for at least 1,300 years into uh, a structural form of governance and economic network and social and cultural establishment. It was in a moment called Khilafa, it was in a moment called Sultana, it had many other formations. Now, the essence is the necessity to cooperate and to integrate. The formation itself, the shape of it, what the form of it, whether you call it Khilafah or you call it something else, is not the issue. The issue is how can we in this age and time establish prosperity based on the fact that we could establish integration amongst ourselves. And that concept is not something unique to the Muslim world because the, the Europeans who exported to us the concept of nation-state, they have reached to the model of the European Union in a way, which is another form of getting together in order to establish connectivity and collectivity so that you can establish economy, establish many other things. There was always a feeling 
of danger coming from this region. And this region always has to be under scrutiny. The concept of coming together, the concept of uniting your economic strength or your human resources was never welcomed at all. Because you should remember that the Ottoman Empire, when it existed, actually it did control the passages to Europe from land and the sea. And, and the Europeans could not really breathe during eight centuries, you know. I mean, this is, was important. So in, in, the, in the accumulative strategic memory of Europe, there is something implicit about the concept of unity of the Muslim world. So they work against this unity. Of course. I mean, this is a strategically true. I mean, I, I, for example, take Muhammad Ali Basha, the great governor of Egypt who tried to uh, renew the, the Ottoman Empire. Who did stop that kind of adventure? It was the Russians with the French and the British and the Prussians. And basically, these countries did not agree on a lot of things. And they have been on, at war with each other. But on this particular matter, on what was called at that time the or Oriental question, there was an agreement that a weak Khilafah, a weak uh, empire like the Ottoman Empire is much more important than a strong one that could start controlling the passages between, between the West and the East, especially between India and the Britain, between the North and the South means between Russia and the Mediterranean, and therefore, no. We have a veto on renewing this empire. Keep it weak. That is much better for us. How much do you think that the leaders in the Muslim world are an extension of this program to keep us weak? I mean, I note uh, a few weeks back, two weeks back, there was an Arab League OIC summit, and um, uh, it uh, it left with very weak uh, resolutions and. Um, the commentators argued that these countries or the leadership in these countries were working against one another rather than working in 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 cohesion um how can we get unity yeah. when we have such fractious leadership when oic met and before that the arab league met and they proposed certain ideas the americans were present not technically i mean the americans were not sitting on the table but the Americans were present in the mind of every decision making maker, so they do not go beside above certain kind of of, of uh, boundaries. Uh, this is our problem in this case. Why? Because as long as you have your own small territory, you need you need two things. You need legitimacy, which to a large extent, a lot of uh, leaders in this region do not have it. So if you don't have the legitimacy, you need to invite some form of power from outside to support you so you can continue. And the Americans are ready to support any dictator, by the way, whenever uh, they, these dictators could play the role of puppets for the Americans. And on the second level, so you have legitimacy, which you don't have. And on the other level as well, you have a lot of weaknesses associated with the concept of so-called nation state, which I, I argue that most of us most of our countries are not nation states anyway. They are a different creation. Yani. They have been created not as nations, because when you say nation state, you have Germany nation state, you have France nation state, but most of the uh, 
of the legacy of the Ottoman Empire in this region are not nation states. So they are uh, tribal entities. Some of them are created uh, on certain boundaries to serve uh, geopolitical interests for France or geopolitical interests for Britain. Sykes-Picot were the orchestrator of this kind of design. So it is not nation formed a state, you know. So based on the above mentioned, you would be as a leader in any country, in a way or another, connected to the American interest, and you will observe what the Americans would like to see from you, even if the Americans do not, do not tell you, because you know exactly the boundaries of what you could do. What is the solution? The solution, for, in my opinion, for now, is okay. I don't think that it is wise to call for a unity geographically and politically amongst all the states. But we could start, like every, every, every group of, 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 of uh, states did in Africa and Latin America and in Asia and in, in Europe, to strengthen the integration economically and then increase the degrees of integration into other levels of people moving around, uh, talents sharing uh, programs, until you reach much more higher levels gradually. And I think the Europeans did that. The Latinos are trying to do this. The Asians did that. The Africans are doing this. But unfortunately, this region of ours uh, uh, has created the OIC as a platform. But the OIC definitely is just a, a rhetoric uh, forum which does not create any kind of practical uh, projects that could establish this kind of integration. So that begs the question, I mean, the Europeans, they formed a unity after the Second World War, and there was a sincerity amongst the leaders of Europe to move in a direction, as you said, to integrate their economies and then later to integrate their politics. There is an, even, there is an absence of that sincerity in the leadership of the Muslim world. So surely there needs to be a change, a shift in those leaders before we can even move in that direction of gradual unity? At the beginning, in 1914, uh, when there was an interest from the British and the French in the Arab uh, region, especially the Arab Arabian Peninsula, to split away from the Ottoman Empire, they, they promised uh, an Arab kingdom. Uh, in 1914, there was a meeting in Damascus where a lot of uh, reformer, Arab reformists sat together and declared something called the Declaration of Damascus, which speaks about an Arab state or Arab kingdom within the natural boundaries of Arabia. You know? And the British apparently said, okay, that's a great idea. Why not? Okay, lovely. And then they start negotiating with, the, with these people to revolt against the Ottoman Empire. But when the war ended, we found that the British actually re replaced that kind of promise with a new map which fragmented this region into small pieces. And these pieces that have been created in a way or another did not, were not established on any human, demographic, I mean, uh, uh, principles or even geographic principles. It was just an attempt to create division in this region that could serve the colonial powers. And we continue to be faithful to these boundaries. Now, there is a solution, keep the boundaries, but start to reduce its impact on people 
on the movement of goods, the movement of humans, and also on your policies that uh, of integration. So we need that. Otherwise, we will continue to be weak. Leaders of these region, of, of these entities are weak by nature, not because personally they are weak. Some of them might be brave. Some of them might be intellectual. But the fact that he has this kind of limitation of, of a state that does not have, you might have a lot of wealth, but you don't have human resources. You might a lot, have a lot of human resources, but you don't have the wealth. You might have a lot of land, but you don't have agricultural uh, capabilities or water. So every country has its own shortcoming, and every leader has his own limitations. And because of the limitations, they cannot do much. Now, when they try to come up with a new model, I see the Western powers uh, trying to dismantle that or to weaken that. Uh, and this is why I am optimistic that with the decline of Western powers, we might have a crack in the system where, whereby our leaders in, in this part of the world will start having a new doctrine of thinking about unity. Some sort of strategic autonomy. Much more it. strategic autonomy and much more realization that we could continue to exist as leaders. We have our own flag and national anthem and so on, but we all could prosper us together because the one who has money can use the one who has human resources. The one who has land can use the one who has water. The one who has uh, minerals can use the one who has industry. So eventually we could establish that kind of uh, ecosystem and the sphere of integration that makes from this region a geopolitical center that could sit on the table when the new world order is formed. There is on the table not only America, Europe, Russia, China, but also there is the uh, the 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 union or the uh, uh, integration model of of uh, the uh, Shark region, the Orient, as I, because uh, the Shark, which is the region here that consists of four major nations: the Arabs, the Turks, the Iranians, and the Kurds. And technically speaking, this region has been integrating for more than one thousand years, you know, and it it is impossible to separate one of them from the other and create prosperity only based on one nation rather than that ecosystem of four of them. You talked, Vera, about cracks in the system. America has probably spent the last 10, 15 years trying to draw down in this region, trying to have less of a footprint in this region. And as you said, leave it up to the authoritarians to uh, to, to govern with an iron fist. Um, can I ask you about the state of Israel? It just seems to me that it is sustained by the West, in particular American money and American military prowess. Before any shift can happen in Palestine, does there need to be a fundamental shift in the power of America in the world in order for Israel to be less, more isolated? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. So Israel as an entity doesn't see itself as part of the Middle East in a sense. It is in the Middle East, but not of the Middle East. Why? Because it can afford to do so. So culturally and uh, uh, from an identity point of view, the Israelis established their own entity and their own identity, and they, they besieged themselves by walls and by division from the rest of the region. So they are not a natural progress of the region. This region has been a mosaic of every kind of culture and religion and ethnicity. So we are used to, to diversity uh, as integral part of the identity, the geopolitical identity of the Middle East. But the Israelis are an exception because they came and they tried not to be part. They can afford because of the American support. Before that, by the British, of course, the Western support. Now the American support to a large extent. And the model was estab established total insecurity. You need to have superiority as far as military is concerned and intelligence. And you continue to be the most superior militarily in the region. And whoever thinks of challenging you in the future, he will think twice because he cannot. And the Americans are guarantors of this kind of supremacy. So when the Americans sell weapons, for example, to any country in the Arab world, they will measure to what extent that will affect the balance of power with the Israelis because the Israelis have to continue to be much more uh, powerful than anyone else in the Middle East. This model has survived thanks to the American uh, uh, support. Now, if the Americans are gradually losing their um, supremacy as the only global hegemon, then the Israeli position from a geopolitical perspective is going to be affected. This is number one. Second, when the Americans supported this uh, state of Israel in the region, they also needed from this state to act for the American interest to a large extent. But now on the 7th of October, we discovered that this state, although it has the most sophisticated technology and military, but was defeated by group of people who did not really have that kind of sophistication. It was an asymmetric war, but the lack of technology defeated the supremacy of technology. And now there is a massive shock in the international uh, system and in Israel itself and lack of confidence about its power. This is, we see the killing of civilians and we see the genocide taking place in Gaza. Now, at this moment in time, the Americans brought their submarines, nuclear submarines, and warships to the region to uh, show support to Israel. When this is cooling down after a while, and everyone starts thinking, Israel, which is supposed to be the policeman of the region, the most powerful in the region, has been proving weak. This is going to have a strategic as well implication on the status of Israel. So with time, I'm seeing the Israeli status on geopolitical level is declining, not increasing. The only solution for Israel in this matter is to accept to be faithfully part of this region. It means they have to accept the fact that the Palestinians are here 
and they cannot continue killing the Palestinians and trying to deport the Palestinians out of their land because even if they do so, that doesn't mean the end of confrontation. Because, And the second point, which is important, they must realize that while they are doing so, they are motivating hundreds of millions of people from the Arab world, from the Muslim world, and from the global south to realize the blight of the Palestinians and to connect that blight to the tradition of fighting against colonial uh, uh, settlers and against apartheid and against in, uh, the fight and the elimination and genocide of indigenous people. So Palestine now is moving to become part of this human march towards freedom that goes deep in history and the West has been guilty always in suppressing it and fighting against it. And this is a massive transformation. This is why when I see people in Latin America or in Africa or in Asia demonstrating for Palestine and invoking their memory of, colon of colonialism in their countries or genocides of their indigenous people, this is the right location of the Palestinian cause, a liberation movement as part of this human endeavor to create a just world far from uh, from the, the Western uh, hegemonic uh, monopoly of, of, of resources and power. So do you see the current events as a game changer in terms of a media narrative, especially in the United States? There are cracks in the dam. I mean, we've seen in the last few weeks some very positive stories uh, towards Palestinians, but also we've, for the first time, I remember reading a poll where there is a plurality now of young Democrats who are pro-Palestinian, rather than pro-Israel. So is this a game-changing moment in your mind? The, the issue is, let me, let me put it like this. For the last few decades, since the establishment of Israel in 1948 until now, mm -hmm. until recently, mm -hmm. the centers of power of the world were, in a way or another, defined and uh, uh, controlled by the state. Economic centers of power, media centers of power, and even institutional cultural centers of power. And the global order, which was created after 1945, the Second World War, again was based on the dominance of the powers, the Americans, the Western powers, and of course the Soviet Union in certain era. Now, this institutionalized system, which easily can define what you should think, what you should say, what you have to know, has been shifting. There are huge cracks in this model. For the last at least two decades, the humans, the individuals, have access to knowledge uh, much more than their ancestors. In any moment of history of the human side, Homo sapiens, we have access to knowledge. Uh, and therefore, we have access as well to expressing our own views. And because of that, there is a shift Centers of power try to control. The individuals and communities are trying to, to widen their, their freedom. And the contradiction between the system, the core, and the margin is increasing to a large extent. We have seen this during the last 20 years. We have seen Occupy movement. We have seen Black Matters. We have seen people in Latin America, in West Africa, fighting against West uh, French dominance. We have seen all kinds of activities happening because people could realize their power and could know what's happening behind the thick 
curtain of the systematic uh, control and monopoly. This is why today the war in Gaza, although the mainstream media in the West and the official spokespersons of the Western governments have adamantly stood for Israel, tried to hide facts and to spread lies, but people could see the reality. And therefore, there is a fitra, there is a natural instinct in this world amongst Muslims, amongst the Christians, amongst, amongst other nations, other groups who rejects oppression. And they are now linking this oppression to the oppression that they experienced and the genocides committed against them. And this is why today, yes, the young people in particular are not willing to just listen to the spokespeople or to their governments or to their media institutions and take it for granted because they see the other reality and initially, they have developed that capability of scrutinizing and even expressing the counter-opinion of the mainstream. Much of the non-Muslim global South is still motivated by socialist or leftist ideologies. Uh, of course, we as Muslims, we believe that our politics, our economics, our social life should emanate from Islam. How much do you think we can lead the global South on an Islamic or a Muslim message? Okay, let me, this is a very important question. Thank you very much for raising this. Let me state it as following. We Muslims have been inward looking for the last few centuries, simply because the dominance of the Western values and the rise of, uh, of non-Islamic doctrines across the world has, has made us uh, threatened by it and we start looking inward, and we start breaching to ourselves and developing a mode of resistance against others. But you should see that during the last at least three, four decades, there is a decline in the most important two doctrines that have controlled the mindset of the humanity. Liberalism, as I have described earlier, which is slowly losing its value, because liberalism was converted from value-centered doctrine into weaponized tool of the Western powers against others. So when, when I say I want to become a Democrat, they say, oh, no, sorry, you cannot. Why? Because you are Muslim. Oh, thank you very much. We had elections 2006 in, in, Gaza, in Palestine, for example, and it was fair election, but it was rejected by the West. And this is why we see the results of the situation here. So we had that everywhere. Liberalism has become a tool in the hand of centers of power. And this is why it has lost value. And when you lose value, it's a matter of time that you are out of the game because nations, people, humanity looks for values initially. We go back to the second, the twin sister of liberalism, which is socialism. And the, you know, the, the values also were hijacked by the Soviet Union, weaponized in in a, in, a, in a utilitarian ideology, and that led to its weakness. Now, if the Western two major uh, paradigms have been weakened, what are you scared of? <laughs> you know, we Muslims have a reservoir of ideals and values spring from our culture, from our history, from our Quran, from our the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and 
we have read in this Quran a verse that says that, O Muhammad, I have sent you as not but as mercy for humanity. Can you please explain to me in a modern terminology what does this ayah mean? وما أرسلناك إلا رحمة للعالمين. If he is mercy to the humanity, to, to the wolves, I mean, is he mercy to Muslims only? Or mercy to marginalized, to the oppressed, to those who are lost, to those who are searching for truth, to those who are searching for justice, to those who are searching for liberation, anywhere in the world. So there is an integral part of our Islamic paradigm has been to a large extent ignored during the last few maybe two centuries because of this crisis of us versus the powerful ideologies and powerful trends of thought. Now we need to go back and claim what is rightfully Islamic, which is the mercy for humanity. In this case, we are not scared that we will be overtaken by, by certain values outside this paradigm. And this paradigm, which I'm, I'm arguing, is a, is a great global alliance with all those who searching for justice, freedom, equality, the, the core principles of what Islam stands for. We need now, at this moment in time, to establish this global movement of alliance between Muslims and, and all forces search for equality and justice across the world. And that is necessary because the, the West has lost its attractive, you know, they are still attractive when it comes to many other things, like commodities, like technology, and many other things. But what kind of a human agenda do you have? During the last few years, what is the agenda of the West to the humanity? It's extremely shallow. Now, you have a much better agenda presented to those who still believe in the original great values in the West or in the East or in the South or in the North, wherever they are, and they start something in you. But before that, we have to craft our own narrative because Muslims still talk to Muslims and we still breach ourselves. And I think the time has come for us to give up on the, on the inferiority sometimes and the fear sometimes that we might lose our identity. It's not an issue of losing identity. There is nothing else to lose your identity for. So be brave enough to craft your message and your narrative and go shake hand with those who fight for justice and equality and the freedom and liberty and establish with them a new global order. Because if the global order is going to be established by centers of power only, devoid from value, we will have the same cycle of tragedies happening everywhere, like we had with the Western hegemonic uh, world order. We have another power arising in the world and another model perhaps uh, in the form of the Chinese model. Now many Muslims in my part of the world, in Pakistan, India, uh, they're now seeing the China model to be a better alternative to that of the liberal capitalist West. Um, do you see China's rise to be a positive for this ummah? So let me just put it like this. I always uh, think that there are some wrong questions, not only wrong answers. I mean, in a sense, I am asked always, wherever I go in the Islamic world, what is better for us, China, America, America or China? Yes. This is a wrong question yeah. because it assumes that we should see, we should choose a master. 
we should be part of this transformation. Now, I am happy that China is rising. Not because I would like China to fill the vacuum that America is going or the West is going to, 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 uh, uh, to leave. Uh, I do believe that it is important to challenge the hegemony in order to establish something much better. And that's something much better. All of us should be part of it. That's important. Now, studying China, I would say that the Chinese model is different from the Western uh, model. The Western model has been obsessed by colonial thinking, always, by imperial reach out. And always, from the 17th century until now, we have encountered, especially the Muslim world, a huge confrontation, even before that, with the Crusaders, then after that, with the with the hegemonic uh, colonialism across the Islamic world. Uh, we did not have the same experience with China, to a large extent. We still have a problem with China on the issue of the Uyghur and how they treat them. But the fact that China comes and occupy people's land and convert their resources, at, as France did in Algeria, from 1830 to 1962, where they eliminated, you know, millions of people, killed millions of people, and, 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 and tried to convert the whole country of Algeria into a French land. And that was done in many other countries in, 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 in North Africa and in, in Asia. We did not see that kind of model. So from that perspective, the hegemonic nature of the Chinese uh, uh, power is not in nature similar to the Western one. And that is a good opportunity for us because it could allow us to formulate our geopolitical center and to engage in debate and discussion with China and Russia and Europe and America on the shape and color and ways of the new world order. But of course, there is a very dark side to China and uh, its persecution of Uyghur Muslims. Uh, how much should we, we be worried about uh, its view of, of Islam and Muslims in this new transition? So to a large extent, I share with you the concern about the Uyghur Muslims. And I am saying if we Muslims should start thinking strategically about our own power, then China needs to sit with us and we need to resolve this conflict. Because traditionally, we did not have huge confrontation with China. And actually, China historically was very, very liberal, I mean, very open-minded towards Muslim communities. And I'm reading in history how Islam connected with China from the early time of the Umayyads and the uh, Abbasids. And uh, there are Muslim uh, minorities in China from that time. And they did not experience a huge problem. But with the rise of the concept of hegemonic uh, centralized power of the state, then the state becomes less tolerant towards the diversity of ethnic groups or religious groups. And this is what's happening in China now. But we Muslims could resolve this conflict by sitting with China and trying, trying our best. Because unfortunately, most of the Islamic countries couldn't even condemn China for that particular uh, uh, situation, as you remember in the voting of the Human Rights Council. This is a problem in a way. Uh, uh, the problem is the weakness of the Islamic center, not, uh, not the fact that we are not there. A lot of people are suffering. But if it comes to geopolitical interest, China is in need 
of a friendship with the Muslim world. You should not undermine the fact that we are two billion Muslims. And we, in a way or another, the Islamic world is at the middle. It's the buffer zone between China and its sphere of influence and Europe and, uh, and the West and their sphere of influence. So this is very critical geopolitical region. And this region, for the Americans in the future and for the Chinese, is might become the arena where the competition is going to be uh, crowning whoever the winner is going to be. So in my opinion, we need to use this strategic location of ours. We are the Ummatun Wasata, as Quran described the Muslims. We are geographically at the center. You know, We need to use that kind of, of, of location to engage in dialogue and debate with China. And later on, when America, when America is humbled enough to listen to others and to give up its, its continuous endeavor to subjugate us. I think we should engage in that and establish our own center that could really become uh, become uh, powerful uh, on the world arena. Wadah Khanfar, you set up or you helped set up Al Jazeera, or at least make Al Jazeera what is today an international brand. Now, in your own words, uh, Al Jazeera's stated aim was to create some form of diffusion of of media in the Muslim world, if not internationally, because as you said earlier, uh, the media was controlled very much by states. How successful do you think Al Jazeera and other news organizations have been in creating this sort of diffuse media landscape? At the center of, of the success of Al Jazeera was the following notion, that Al Jazeera belongs to the region in a sense. And Al Jazeera understood the spirit of the nation that the audience uh, belonged to. So Al Jazeera started, of course, as an Arab channel, Arabic channel 19, by the end of 1996. At that, that time, I was not actually, I was a reporter in South Africa. But later on, it moved into other languages like English and Balkan and so on. The issue is always Al Jazeera tried to understand the pulse of the people and the mindset of the nations rather than just associating itself with centers of power. Because mainstream media has been incorporated with centers of power too much. And it has become the mouthpiece uh, of, uh, of, of, of powers. This is Western media as well Western as- Western media. Yeah. Most of the Western media and a lot of other medias, I mean, not only Western media, but mostly financed by corporations that are connected to certain interests or by states that have certain agenda on foreign policy. And in this case, we have seen, for example, in the war in Iraq or Afghanistan, how Western media actually participated in sometimes spreading lies, fabrications, or framing the news in a way that audience could understand it uh, in line with the official uh, policy of the state. Al Jazeera was an independent channel and the reference point of it was the people. So it was community-centered, people-centered, socially-centered, rather than powerfully-centered. Yes, it is owned by Qatar and supported financially by Qatar, but Qatar had li less agenda than any other international power uh, in its relationship with, with media. And that was the major reason for success, freedom uh, of journalists, and the fact that we are entrenched inside the societies, our reporters belong to these nations, they understand the mindset, they understand the hopes and the dreams and fears 
of these nations. They understand the accumulative memory of these nations, and therefore they are much better able to understand events and forecast even what's going to happen because they are part of this region, not Orientalists coming here in order just, just or tourists in order to explore by reading few pages what's happening in a, in, in a 1,000 years uh, story, uh, like the fight between this, this tribe or that tribe or between this sect and that sect. This is historically complicated, but unfortunately, a lot of simplistic reporters come to this region and just overnight they become experts and always they misunderstand events and they misunderstand uh, uh, as well how to uh, contextualize it or how to forecast uh, the next uh, phase. Do you think, uh, how much do you buy into the argument that we're now moving away even from the Al Jazeera independent models into what is more like citizen journalism? Today, social media has enabled uh, ordinary people in Gaza do extraordinary things and report on events that True. historically, yeah. you know, these events would have been blacked out by, by and, global and media. That, that started actually by the beginning of, of maybe 2000, 2002, 2005, and reached its peak in our region, for example, during the Arab Spring. Because if you remember, the Arab Spring was... Uh, a result of group of people educated and had access to internet. At that time, the Facebook was actually the most important platform of social media, and people exchanged thoughts and ideas and developed their own uh, action plan, and that led to the Arab Spring. Now, since then, a lot of things have, have, have changed. One of them is the fragmentation of social media. Social media has given us a great opportunity to reach directly to the source of news, but also has increased the level of fragmentation in the way that we could understand, contextualize the depth of events. And this is why I argued that mainstream media or established media uh, 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 organizations and, and media platforms should become much more deep in two important issues, contextualizing the news and creating from the news a pattern that that audience could fit in their mind so they may understand reality. Because social media might not do this. You know. So there is a space for mainstream media, which I think should be reformed and concentrated. We are not we should not be competing with social media. And there is a sphere for social media we could as well integrate with and use in order to get much better resources and much better knowledge of what's happening on the ground. Each one of these institutions uh, have or has its own uh, power, strength, and also weaknesses. But if you bring them together and create, I said one day from newsrooms, we need to have think tanks because the journalists and editors and producers should become much better thinkers. They need to have historical knowledge of events, contextualized knowledge of events, much better forecasting knowledge, and the social media could become one of their major source of input to, to do that mission. Do you think the Arab Spring is over, or do you foresee uh, more changes in the Muslim world? So let me say 7th of October has created huge energy in the Islamic world and in the South. This energy 
is there. There is a lot of anger. There is a lot of frustration. There is a lot of uh, feeling of helplessness. Sometimes when you watch the uh, massacres and you, you, you can't do this. History is important for us to look at this. Always when there was some form of feeling of uh, anger and frustration uh, and lack of uh, ways to express and to act based on what you feel and, 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 and uh, understand, always there is a transformation of this energy into a new form. So sometimes negative. It brings you Al-Qaeda, brings you Daesh, brings you ISIS, brings you other groups uh, as a rejection of certain issues. And sometimes in a form of Arab Spring, and sometimes in a form of demand for new paradigm of thinking and internal contemplation of old ideas and thoughts. That this current incident is one of the biggest incidents that our generation has gone through from 7th of October until now. And I think the energy created in the hearts and minds of, of, of men and women of the, of the region of the Islamic world and also internationally needs to be channeled in the right direction. And this is why I call for this global movement of an alliance for values. Uh, and then we can really start moving beyond reaction and rejection of reality into forming the new reality. Otherwise, I'm afraid that we might encounter in the next two, three years something uh, which might harm our cause as well. Uh, this is very important for us. We have seen this. It's not the first time. It has happened. We need to move away from it into something much more positive, much more practical, and also much more global. Because I think we Muslims alone cannot shape the new paradigm that the humanity should start thinking about. I could uh, speak to you for another two hours, but our time is running out. I have one final question for you, and that's really about hope. Do you feel that we're living through, despite the disasters that we're witnessing in Gaza, do you think we're living through an era or a period of hope for the Muslim Ummah? So, in fact, let me <laughs> explain to you the concept of hope. One of the unique, uh, one of the most unique uh, characteristics of this ummah is the fact that it is very resilient. Mm. I remember uh, reading for a great historian, his name is Ibn al-Athir, in his magnificent book, Al-Kamil Fit-Tarikh, Al-Kamil in History. He died in the year 630. At the end of his book, when he was describing the events of 600, I think 632 he passed away, but 630 was the last year in his chronology, when he was describing 630, it was the Mughals invading the eastern part of the Islamic world and committing unbelievable atrocities against Muslims and Islam. So when he wrote about that, he said, I could not write for a long time about the events of this year, but my students asked me to write down because I am a witness of history. But I was thinking to myself, how could I declare the end of Islam and Muslims? Because he thought that this is the end of Islam and the Ummah because of the invasion of the Mughals and the 
genocides committed from the Mughals. And then he described the events of that day. He passed away 632, and actually the Mughals invaded Baghdad in the year 658, I think, or 56, 656 or so, and they killed almost 1 million people and destroyed the capital of the Khilafah, and they destroyed after that Damascus, and they did a lot of harm. He didn't even see that. Imagine. So most of the his generation of historians saw that as the end of the Ummah. But not very much later, this Ummah recovered and defeated the Mughals after two years, actually, of the collapse of Baghdad. And we resumed our march towards the future. No way I can describe this Ummah but the most resilient Ummah, simply because we belong into some something, which is the text that we have, Anas, the, the Quran, that always describes to us the future. And if you believe that this Quran is the book of for the until the end of the last book to humanity, until the end of time, it means the Ummah that will carry this book will survive with it in order to connect the text to reality. So I have no, I think the concept of hope is similar to the concept of Tawheed in Islam. If you have the concept of faith, Iman, you have the concept of hope. And if you don't have the concept of Iman, you have the concept of despair. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, he actually combined both of them together. That the yes, which is to despair from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it means that you do not have faith. So hope is a branch of Tawheed. You cannot, you cannot despair if you have faith. And think about it, the, the last thing which I, it might comes to my mind. Always events create opportunities, although sometimes they are, they are painful. But this is the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the law of existence. That this kind of, you know, uh, sometimes conflicts and, 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 and deep stress creates opportunities. We start examining new ideas and thoughts. We start rethinking our approach to reality. We start generating new intellectuals, new solutions, new creativity. And that is, I saw it in history, always, you know, Muslims always are capable of creating solutions to their tragedies and to their weaknesses and the, to their sit, uh, setbacks. And this is why I, when I look at the Palestinian issue at this moment in time, of course, like you, like everyone else, I feel extremely, you know, sad for the killing of women, men, and children, and angry also with, with, with the, the, the Western uh, unlimited support to the Israelis and the weakness of our governments to, to really stand for the people uh, in Palestine. But always I'm thinking for myself, the result of this is going to be something else. The result of this is a new awakening, a new birth for a generation that is well-educated, much more creative, determined, self-confidence, capable of carrying this message to the humanity. I have no doubt about this issue. And always our new birth came from actually the agony of, of, of uh, uh, um, defeats sometimes and the agony of, of uh, uh, stress that we may go through. But despair is not in our lexicon. It should not be in our lexicon. And only hope, which is informed one, not hope in a theoretical way. 
Allah in Al-Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, inna ma'al usri yusra. Surely with every hardship there is ease. Surely with every hardship there is twice, he said it. And the third one he said, surely after every hardship there is ease. So three. For every hardship there are three eases. <laughs> so for me this is something that will create new emergence of much, much mature actually approach to reality. And we will graduate from one phase into another phase, from a phase of us being looking and talking to each other to a phase of us talking to the world and to our allies who we see them everywhere in the world. And we are not alone in this. And this is, in my opinion, will be the result of this awakening happening because of the 7th of October. It's been a fascinating discussion. Jazakallah for your time today. Shukran jazeelan akhi. Thank you very much. Please remember to subscribe to our social media and YouTube channels and head over to our website thinkinmuslim.com to sign up to my weekly newsletter. Jazakallah khair. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.